Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, December 3rd, 2021 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week on the podcast, some city-level politics, state legislators on the move, and a congresswoman on the march against communism. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for Lee Enterprises. With me today are James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Good morning, James. Good morning, Aaron. Uh, it seems a little bit odd to be on this side of the good morning or good <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> That's right. And we plan to make it even more comfortable and hit you with the really hard questions as we go along here. And Tom Barton of the Quad City Times. Hello, Tom. Hello, Aaron. <laughs> and Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Good afternoon, Todd. Good afternoon, and workers of the world unite. <laughs> Representative Miller Meeks. <laughs> 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 As a reminder, you can subscribe to the On Iowa Politics podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. First up this week, we have joked in previous podcasts that the biggest winners in redistricting may be Iowa realtors. Well, sure enough, there have been some state lawmakers on the move as they look ahead to the 2022 elections and the new districts in which they will run. Republicans sorted out their Ankeny issue this week with Jack Whitford toppling the first domino. The Senate majority will move out of his suburban Ankeny district and move into a district that covers rural northern Polk County and includes small towns like Polk City and Alleman. So with that Ankeny City, with that Ankeny Senate district open, pardon me, newly elected House member Michael Busolo will run in that Senate race. And that cleared the way for Marvis Landon to announce she will run in the House District that covers the north side of Ankeny. Marvis Landon is the wife of former State Representative John Landon, who passed away from cancer earlier this year. So has everybody got that? The quiz is later today. Make sure you're ready. Uh, (laughs) James, this obviously starts with Whitford. What does it say to you that the Senate Majority Leader is moving into a new district. Did he make a political calculation here, or does he just want to move closer to Papa's Pizzeria in Polk City? Well, I don't know. The, the Smoothie King probably doesn't eat pizza, I'm guessing. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> But did he make a political calculation? Of course. That's what politicians do, especially when it affects their the future of their political career. Um, what does it say that he moved? First off, it says he wants to make sure that he gets reelected. If the new district looks like an easier lift, that frees him up to campaign for others, including Michael, or now that he's just a common person, Mike Busolo, uh, who will run in that Senate district. It also says he can use the funds that he raises as, as majority leader to help others rather than spending a lot of it to get himself reelected. Um, I think it also says that Whitver is concerned that his district might not be as red or Republican as it once was. Uh, we've seen a lot of sort of gradual shifting in those suburban districts from red to blue. Um, it, it's it's not, um, I mean, from a Republican perspective, it's that district isn't a lost cause. Um, you know, Busolo may ver- do very well there. Um, and, and I guess if you want to go even farther out on the political limb, it might say that Whitfer, who once promised uh, no more than two terms in the Iowa legislature, is looking ahead to some future higher political office, Congress, U.S. Senate, Governor, take your pick. I was just going to say, you can't uh, make the transition to governor if uh, you're not st- uh, still the Senate Majority Leader. You can't as easily uh, anyways. I-, I guess I don't know if Des Moines University has a presidency position open for him like they did for Terry Branstead in between 
uh, stints. But uh, I think you raised such a huge uh, point there, James. To, so just to double down on that, that if Whitford stays in that district, he probably probably wins. It gets a little tougher. He probably wins, but he'll have to work for it. And 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 I don't mean that from a Jack Whitford doesn't want to work hard standpoint. I mean from the standpoint you talked about. He's got to spend all his money on making sure he gets reelected. Whereas, like you said, he moves into this district. It's a little safer. He can put that money towards helping other members get elected instead. Um, another noteworthy move I wanted to talk about came in Des Moines, where Democratic Senator Sarah Trone Garriott moved into a district to face Republican Senate President Jake Chapman. So the district we're talking about covers the western edge of the Des Moines metro area, including Waukee, Adele, parts of Clive. Um, I believe, James, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe um, redistricting do, drew Sarah Trone Garriott into a district with another Democrat. So that solves a primary problem, but, but it is a move uh, into a district uh, with a, with a strong Republican incumbent. So this seems kind of like a bold move by the Democrats with an, an incumbent moving to face a Republican in leadership. Of course, I often joke that there's a fine line between bravery and and foolishness Uh, on which side of that line are the Democrats falling here. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not sure on that one, uh, but you know the, the timing of Tron Garriott's move was interesting to me because I I saw the announcement the day after Democrats called Whitford a hypocrite for moving into a new district, and, <laughs> and I guess that's just you know why we love politics so much. Right. Um, brave or foolish, hard to say. If she stayed put, she would you know face a, a Senator Claire Selsey, um in a primary. Um, Selsey is a more senior member of the Democratic caucus running against uh, Senate President Jake Chapman is risky, but she will get a ton of money from blue state Democrats who love the storyline here. You know, a progressive Democratic woman is challenging this radical right GOP leader. Uh, the checks will write themselves for that. campaign. <laughs> <laughs> and, and of course, we don't know that Chapman is running in that district. He could pull a, a Hagenau by moving to a safer seat. Um, and, and, and I don't think this is, you know, going to be the last move, um, we see by legislators. I, I was talking to Senator, or excuse me, uh, representative Dennis Cahoon the other day, uh, down in Burlington, who's the most senior member of the Iowa, uh, legislature. And he told me he's moving into a new district that is 86% of his current district. So he's, you know, it, it, he's saying he's basically moving into his district. Uh, so, you know, we'll probably see more of these moves before it's all over. Yeah. And and I should point out, um, if it does wind up being um, uh, Tron Garriott versus Chapman, it's not like that's a lost cause district for Democrats. That's another one of those areas, sort of like Ankeny, right, where it's, it's, it's gotten a little more blue in, in recent cycles. Right. And... and um, you know, it would be quite a contrast between those two candidates if it's Garriott, Trump, Garriott, and Chapman. Um, you know, in, in terms of their political, where they're at on the political spectrum, it, it's quite a uh, quite a choice. <laughs> They'll be able to be able to draw the fault lines pretty easily there. All right. Well, we'll keep track of all these moves and potential matchups, and uh, I'm sure have more to talk on, about on on future podcasts. Um, moving on here. We had some interesting mayoral election results this past week, uh, particularly in our Cedars, both Falls and Rapids. Uh, let's start in Cedar Falls, where Rob Green earned a second two-year term by winning a runoff election by just shy of 100 votes. So obviously a very 
close outcome there. A runoff mayoral election in Cedar Rapids was not quite so close. Uh, over there, Tiffany O'Donnell routed Amara Andrews, earning more than two-thirds of that runoff vote. The incumbent mayor, Brad Hart, didn't survive the initial election. So, uh, Todd, tell us a little bit more about uh, that process there and why, after such a, uh, uh, a competitive initial election, was this runoff so lopsided? Well, I mean, you had a three, basically a three-person general election race, and Brad Hart finished third by a pretty narrow margin. He endorsed Tiffany O'Donnell then, and and so I suppose some of his voters may have gone that direction. There were about 6,000 fewer voters in the runoff than there were had been in the general election. O'Donnell collected more votes than she had gotten in the general election, and, and Amara Andrews received fewer. And O'Donnell actually won the uh, absentee balloting, which was also a flip Andrews had wanted in the, in the general election. So, you know, those so that mathematics, I guess, you know, with one candidate fewer and and those shifts, I mean, that's how O'Donnell built up the big lead. I mean, it was a the partisanship was sort of the big issue in the campaign. Andrews ran as a pretty unabashed progressive, got endorsed by a lot of Democratic uh, legislators and, and, and uh, office holders of local area. Uh, she got the help of Democratic strategists and, you know, raised money through act blue and, and all of those things. Uh, and she was criticized for that by O'Donnell's campaign. Uh, Andrews also got into some problems. There were questions about her personal finances regarding a, a home builder in Illinois who she still owed money, who her family still owed money for a loan or for a, a house that, uh, they, they had, uh, had built. Uh, and then there was a, a weird, chapter when some local Democrats formed a pack to send out mailers tying uh, Tiffany O'Donnell to uh, Donald Trump and Kim Reynolds and and Ashley Henson. Uh, and and the, the Andrews campaign said they at first said they didn't know anything about the group, but then it turned out that they it was on their disclosure that they'd given the group nine thousand dollars. So, <laughs> whoops! You, you just you know just go around giving nine thousand bucks to groups you don't know about. So those those happened late in the general election campaign and 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 tripped her up. O'Donnell, you know, played the neutral card and said she belongs to the party of Cedar Rapids. She also belongs to the Republican Party and got plenty of help from Republican op- operatives and in consulting firms and advertisers and call centers. Uh, and it was, you know, hard not to notice that some Republicans on social media were pretty excited right. about her victory. And I've seen it thrown around in the days since as proof that Iowa is becoming redder somehow because Cedar Rapids just elected a Republican two to one over a progressive, but it was probably more complicated than that. And Cedar Rapids has a history of, of, of electing these sort of center right mayors, Ron Corbett, Paul Pate, Lee Clancy, when she was a Republican, uh, Brad Hart's a Republican. So uh, in a way it was about what you'd expect based on watching previous Cedar Rapids uh, mayoral elections. I think Andrews looked at the voter registration and thought Democratic town, she could run a Democratic message campaign, but that didn't, that didn't work out. If nothing else, uh, Todd, it just, it seems like this was a ringing endorsement of the status quo. In Cedar yeah. Rapids. I mean, yeah. O'Donnell is not, 
coming out with a lot of radical ideas. I mean, uh, you know, downtown development, let's get a casino, let's get some housing, let's, you know, all of those sort of things that most candidates here talk about are the needs for the city. Um, And actually, Andrew's campaign, for all of its sort of help from progressives, was not all that much you know, she, she wanted to emphasize, you know, she'd been one of the leaders of the social justice movement in the city last year that got a police review board and, and protested uh, after the George Floyd killing. And so she had those components of her platform, but uh, she also wanted, you know, development, housing, all of those things, uh, you know, finish the derecho recovery, all of that stuff that was, that were issues here. So uh, yeah, I mean, we've, We've got a, a pro-business, pro-development mayor coming in next year, and we have one going out. <laughs> so it's not it's not exactly uh, we're yeah. we're not bracing for big big change. Yeah. All right. Very interesting. Moving on now, we've done state and local. Let's do some national Iowa politics next. Congresswoman Marionette Miller Meeks, Republican from Ottumwa in Eastern Iowa's second district. This week announced her support for federal legislation that would, and I quote, aid high schools in developing curriculum to teach students about the dangers of communism and totalitarianism, I apologize, (laughs) and how they are contrary to the founding principles of freedom and democracy in the United States, end mouthful of a quote. Uh, Tom, you covered this story. Tell us a little bit more about this, um, including I'm curious whether the legislation supported by Representative Miller-Meeks also includes any curriculum about 1950s U.S. Senator Joe McCarthy. And I asked for no specific reason. Yeah, so uh, Miller-Meeks joined a group of House Republicans to introduce a bill that would promote school curriculum decrying communism. Um, She said at a press conference Thursday on Capitol Capitol Hill, quote, in our school system, we talk eloquently about the excesses and the demerits of capitalism, but we never talk about the excesses, the brutality and the murder uh, of uh, by communist regimes and uh, why they've continued to fail. And if we're going to have critical thinking uh, in our young adults and in our citizens, uh, they have to be taught both points of view. And we must ensure that our next generation is well educated in the dangers of this radical ideology. Um, so as you mentioned, Aaron, the bill would aid high schools in developing curriculum to teach students about the evils of communism. Bill sponsor, Congresswoman Maria Salazar, Republican from Florida, um, and the daughter of Cuban immigrants, uh, said that, uh, uh, quote, unfortunately, today we're seeing an alarming shift in our national conscience. So her office claimed, citing 2020 polling from the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation that once broadly rejected as un-American and uh, dangerous ideology, that communism is increasingly accepted, especially by the youngest generation. Um, And so the 2020 report from the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation found that 18% of members of Generation Z and 13% of millennials think communism is a fairer system than capitalism and deserved consideration in America. And uh, 30% of Gen Z had a favorable view of Marxism, up 6% from 2019, uh, compared to 27% of millennials, which was down 9% from 2019. It's worth noting that the federal legislation is not um, an educational mandate, but rather would provide materials through 
that victims of communism memorial foundation for states and local educators to use to um, teach true evil to, to, to teach students about the true evils of communism according to uh, to Salazar's office um, the bill also includes the development of a uh, portraits and patriotism series of personal stories from immigrants who fled communist regimes. Um, the bill closely mirrors one signed into law this summer by Florida uh, Republican Governor Ron DeSantis, requiring the state's public high schools teach that, again, communism and, and, and totalitarian governments are evil. Critics have questioned the necessary the necessity, excuse me, of such legislation, noting lessons on communism and other forms of political and economic systems are already part of public school curricula. Um, and argue this is part of a broader conservative movement against academic freedom in classrooms. Um, they note that um, the new Fred, uh, Florida law came just days after the Florida Board of Education, um, at the urging of DeSantis, moved to ban the teaching of critical race theory. Um, you know, Republicans have often criticized universities for promoting liberal ideology. DeSantis said parents worry that when they send their children to universities, that they'll become indoctrinated. Um, you know, critics of this, as you mentioned, Aaron, worry um, that this legislation amounts to McCarthyism, and they question whether the curriculum would include lessons about how por- uh, paranoia in the early 1950s over subversive communist influence in U.S. institutions, you know, led to the interrogation, persecution, and, and ruined reputations of hundreds of innocent Americans believed to be communist sympathizers based on damaging and unsubstantiated accusations. Um, Democrats and some educators say that, you know, the bill is another Republican dog whistle and that federal lawmakers shouldn't be dabbling in curriculum and rather schools should just teach students the history of capitalism and communism and let students form their own opinion. Yeah, and I, I tell you, Tom, as you described that, I, I at least, at the very least, appreciate the the polling number and and the inclusion about the uh, and numbers on the younger people and their opinions on communism. Because I was prepared to come here today and say I don't remember walking home from school any day at any point and thinking, "Wow, that communism sounds like a lot of fun." Uh, but but I'm Gen X, so I, I guess that's why. Um, although, geez, if you know. All the, all the uh, you know, Marxists I knew in college, it, I don't know what happened to them. I, they, you know, they obviously didn't take over the country. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like... Yeah, I just moved to Iowa City. Walk around in their, you know, <laughs> their uh, Russian Russian army coats and stuff like that. They thought maybe, they were yeah. pretty cool. Maybe we cool. should be nervous, though, if you don't oh, know wait. what's become of them. Where, where wait, are I, I think... Comrades, I think my dog has caught a communist infiltrating <laughs> my yard. You know, my my question is, um, you know, shouldn't sort of this whole this whole lesson be, you know, American history and government classes, the social studies, all that stuff, be delivering this message about the differences between our, our form of government economic right. system and others, and and, and rather than indoctrinate kids like the commies do shouldn't the education present the facts so those students can use their critical thinking uh to draw their own conclusions and and that's the exact argument that uh 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 spokeswoman from the um iowa state education association made is you know look iowa has um uh robust 
uh, curriculum standards, you know, that focus on, you know, critical thinking. Um, and, you know, those standards are developed by professionals in the field, you know, let's leave it to them and not lawmakers to, to do that. Um, and, and also, you know, is, is this really something that is important that we need to be focusing on? You know, there are larger, more important issues that we need to be uh, addressing and focusing on uh, in, in education. And, you know, the dangers of, of, of communism, you know, is, is that... <laughs> Is that really a concern? Or again, as Democrats argue, is this just a Republican dog whistle? Isn't the fact that the students in Iowa are staying the Pledge of Allegiance every day enough to? You know? <laughs> yeah, what, well, what it's more? you know, it's it is. It's all politics. I mean, the more they can talk about socialism and communism, because that's how they're trying to paint every Democratic candidate. I mean, this is just this is just hey, this is terrible. Oh, and my opponent is a socialist. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean that's kind of the that's kind of the gist. It's yeah. you know a child tax credit is you know it's the same as putting people in gulags. <laughs> it sort of rings to me similar to um, you know we're we're hearing more and more uh, people and even some legislators talking about certain books and libraries and that they should be banned. And, and my thought is, boy, the the government and politically elected official deciding what, what books our kids read, what, what could go wrong there? Yeah. yeah I, I kind of think that's, you know, that's the sort of stuff that communist totalitarian yeah. governments generally <laughs> try to do. <laughs> Ironic, I'd, like to offer, I'd like to offer a friendly amendment uh, on this bill, just change it to aid high schools in developing curriculum to teach students about the dangers of Democrats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I beat around the bush, right? Let's, let's yeah, just... I mean, get to the point. <laughs> and the, and the unknown benefits of a one party state. Yeah. <laughs> That's not communist, by the way. <laughs> All right. Be- before we sign off, I, I remember that I forgot to ask one more thing, going back to our first discussion about uh, legislators on the move. Uh, I wanted to give Amy and, and um, Tom a real quick opportunity. Uh, you know, we talked about, folks in the Des Moines area, and obviously this is happening all over. Uh, just real quick before we sign off, gang, uh, Tom, um, is there any of that kind of movement happening in the Quad Cities? Uh, folks, you know, shipping districts to avoid a primary or find an open seat district or any of that kind of stuff? Yep, uh, some. So uh, Republican uh, State Representative Mark, and I'm going to butcher the last name, Cisneros? Yeah. yeah. Close enough yeah. anyways. I know who okay. I'm talking about. Yeah, uh, of, 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 of Muscatine um, announced that um, he's going to run for the newly drawn Iowa House District 96. So he was drawn uh, just outside the majority of his current uh, Iowa House District 91. Um, but redistricting placed him in the new um, House District 95, which includes one township in his current district, the one that he lives in, and then um, extends south to the city limits of Burlington, um, that would have set up a potential contested primary with um, State Representative um, uh, David Kerr um, of uh, Morning Sun and a possible uh, general election um, matchup against uh, incumbent uh, Democratic State Representative um, Dennis um, Cahoon. Um, whereas the new Iowa House District 96 uh, is an open seat, it doesn't have an incumbent, um, and it includes most of the population of his current district. Um, uh, Iowa State Representatives, uh, Democrats, um, Cindy Winkler and Monica Kurth, who live in the western part of Davenport, 
were drawn into the same district while she's not moving, Winkler announced that she will seek election to the new Iowa Senate District 49 seat, which is an open seat. Um, that new Senate district includes most of the city of Davenport and continues to the Scott County border. Um, and then to wrap up, we've also seen a retirement as a result of redistricting. Um, Scott County Republican state lawmaker Ross Poshton of Walcott announced um, that he will not seek re-election and will retire from the Iowa House um, after serving out his current term through 2022. Um, both Poshton and Repo Republican state representative Bobby Kaufman of Wilton, uh, chairman of the House um, State Government Committee, were drawn into the same district. Um, I'm not aware, and someone please correct me um, if he has, but I'm not aware that Kaufman has announced his re-election plans, but is ex expected to seek re-election representing uh, the new House District 82, which includes Cedar County, as well as parts of Muscatine and Scott Counties. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah I, I he's running. Right. Yep. yep. Kaufman yeah, is running. Okay. Yeah, okay. Okay. I, I mean, it, it, yeah, it, it seemed like that was pretty much kind of a, a foregone conclusion, but I didn't know if there was any formal announcement. And, and Tom, we were watching for Ro Robbie Smith and and uh, now the name of the Democrat is escaping me. We're possibly Jim Lycan. Yeah, yeah. So are they still uh, on target to, to, to have to face each other or what's happening there? To, to, to my knowledge, as far as I know, they have not um, publicly declared their future plans. Okay. Um, so as you mentioned, um, uh, yeah, Jim Lycom and then uh, Damport Republican Iowa State Senator Robbie Smith, they were drawn to the same Senate district um, that stretches from northwest Davenport to West Branch and includes rural Cedar County. Again, to my knowledge, neither have, have, have publicly declared or announced their plans. Okay. Yeah, that'll be an interesting to watch it. And I guess in Cedar Rapids, Marion James, anything shuff getting shuffled around there? I don't I don't think anybody's moving. Okay. Yeah, I mean, to run, there are some people who are sort of running in different districts, but they're not relocating. All right. Well, like I said, we'll keep an eye on that and all the goings on and have uh, all that and more to talk about in future on Iowa Politics podcasts. We hope you enjoyed today's edition. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, subscribe and tell a friend, and you can send fan mail to podcasts at thegazette.com. And don't forget the work of everyone you hear today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mesa City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council of Bluffs, Daily Nonpareil, and Cedar Rapids Gazette. Scarlet Runner will play us out this weekend. If you know a talented band or Iowa musician who should be featured on our show, send us a sound file. For James, Tom, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks, everyone, for listening.
the deep. 